The issue with unwilling believers, it's really an issue of sin. It's an issue of selfishness that needs to be dealt with. There are a lot of leaders in the church these days motivating people who are in sin to do God's work rather than those who have wholeheartedly given over their lives. And that happens over and over again. You start to take advantage. You come back over. Lord, no, it's yours. Welcome to this Friday edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is a daily radio outreach from Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And our teacher is Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church. Greg, today we get back to our study in Nehemiah chapter 2. And after a short review, we'll begin to see that as we serve the Lord, we should expect opposition. Yes, Dave, but let's not forget that though we'll be opposed, when we serve the Lord, the Lord is with us, and he will protect us, and he will turn what was meant for evil to good. So let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 2 together, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 20. Well, thanks, Greg. And as always, if you have to miss a portion of today's broadcast, you can hear this entire program online at etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. In the very last book of the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 18, God says that you'll be able to distinguish between the righteous and the wicked by one thing, whether they serve the Lord or they do not. When we were saved, we were saved to give up our lives and to gain everything in Christ, but to give up that which was not eternal, that which was hindering us, that which was pulling us down into the pit of hell through our own decisions. We were called to confess our sin, to repent, to turn to Jesus Christ, to die to ourselves and to live to God in Christ. And when we do that, we become servants of the living God. We serve him. If you were a believer You are a servant of the living God. Now, the question would be, are you a good servant or are you a bad servant? Are you a faithful slave or an unfaithful slave? So if you've been saved, that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to give up everything, to have no strings attached to where we live, to where we go to church, to whatever it might be. Yet we are willing, whatever, Lord, your will is, we will do it. You see, and that's what the mindset of those in whom Christ is working mightily as they're in union with him. Except sometimes there are those who become servants, but sin gets in the way, and they stick to their own desires and their own ways and suffer for it and do not receive the great blessing of serving a great God where he wants them to be. Yeah, but what we'll see today is that when there are those who desire to serve the Lord, there is opposition. And there is difficulty, and that difficulty can be discouraging. It can be that which hinders us, those who really want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and serve him wholeheartedly. Yet today we're going to see how leaders in the body of Christ are to motivate the Lord's servants to do what he desires them to do. You see, there are times where we need to be motivated by the word of God through God's people to do what he wants us to do. Now, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah, and you'll remember that Nehemiah comes in a period in which after the Jews had been exiled, they had been exiled and they began to come back. The first return was 
with Zerubbabel and those guys building the temple, the foundation. They were delayed through difficulties and the wrong priorities, but then they eventually got it built. The second return through Ezra, about 13 years before we have Nehemiah, in which they were to go back, rebuild Jerusalem. But unfortunately, through the bad guys, the king gave a stop order to the building, and there was some difficulty there, as we'll see today, opposition. And then we have the third return, which involves Nehemiah. And so we are in this portion in Nehemiah in which Nehemiah is now going to return to Jerusalem, and he's going to have some come with him. You might remember in the past few weeks of our study of Nehemiah that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, a very high position, a very high official, extremely high in the Persian Empire, the world's superpower of the day. And in chapter 1, he had heard information concerning the Jews in Judah, those who had gone back to serve the Lord. You see, it was a comfy deal, actually, in Persia. There wasn't really much persecution, and Jews were staying. It was a comfy deal. But there were those who had been led by the Lord on their heart to serve who had gone back, as we'll see. And Nehemiah has that same heart, as we'll say. And so then he hears about the Jews in Jerusalem and the walls of Jerusalem and the gates. And he's greatly troubled because God's people are greatly discouraged. It's a great evil that has come upon them, and he is concerned about them. And we saw that Nehemiah was a godly man who cares about God's work and God's people. And so then he goes to praying, and he mourns, first of all, and he's driven to his knees to pray for his fellow servants in Jerusalem. And it's about four to five months that he is praying, and by the end of his prayer, which we see in the end of chapter 1, it's apparent that God has laid on his heart that he's the one that God wants to use to bring about the resolution to the very problem that he is grieving over concerning the sons of Israel. Now, it's an impossible situation for Nehemiah because he's in an important position and the king's probably not going to say, yeah, sure, go ahead and take four years off or whatever it might be. He's not going to do that, basically. But God is the one in whom the king's heart channels just like water through his hand. God can do anything. There's nothing that is impossible for God. And Nehemiah prays to God in chapter 1. He acknowledges that God is above. He's supreme. He's a great God and that there's nothing impossible for him in that context. And within that prayer, we see him exalting the Lord and humbling himself and then praying for God's hand to be favorable to him when he would go before the king, for he was the cupbearer of the king. So we have an impossible situation, so he intercedes for his people. He's persistent. He doesn't give up. And he confesses the sin that is related to the difficulty that the Israelites are in. And then he comes specifically reminding the Lord of his promises, and then he makes his specific request. And then the week before last, we saw Nehemiah's tremendous example. He is a man who patiently waited on the Lord. He was a man who's walking with the Lord. He is a man who was wisely ready and prepared when the Lord would open the doors to which he was praying for when they came. And Nehemiah prayerfully and wisely, respectfully made his request before the king to go to Jerusalem for a period of time to rebuild Jerusalem. And he asked for letters for his passage and letters for wood from the king's forest, from the guy that runs it, Asap. And the king granted his request. And Nehemiah explains why. He says in verse 8, the very end, and the king granted them because the good hand of my God was on me. 
You know, when you are praying and you are dependent and you know it's not you, when God answers that prayer, you don't give yourself or anyone else glory. You give God the glory. And Nehemiah did that. He's a man of faith and a tremendous example. And it's from there we're going to see today through Nehemiah's example of godly leadership, one man, godly leadership here, how our leaders in the body of Christ are to motivate God's servants to do his work, or God's maybe distracted or dejected or discouraged servants, how to do and how to be about his work. Please turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 9 through 20. Verse 9, Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding." So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were consumed by fire. Then I passed by the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned." And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right or memorial, in Jerusalem. So then, how are godly leaders to motivate God's servants to do his work? Now I just want to say one thing in advance before we get to our passage. This passage is about motivating those who desire to do God's work those who are not in sin. These Israelites here had left to do God's work. They had given up everything, their cushy lives in Persia, and they had gone to a difficult situation. They weren't those who didn't want to do it, who are following their own desires or their own will, unwilling to give up this life. They weren't those people. But they had been discouraged by the situation. The king had put a stop work on it. There was these bad guys, which we'll see here, continually thwarting and putting them down and causing them to be a reproach. So they desired to serve the Lord. And frankly, the task was unattainable in light of the king's edict. 
So this passage applies to those who want to follow the Lord, who are willing to serve the Lord no matter where and what he wants you to do. And that's where you got to get in your life. you got to be willing to say, it doesn't matter. I'll do whatever you want, wherever you want, Lord Jesus. I trust you. And these people were those people, and they had left their place to go to Jerusalem. So then, God is faithful to bring a leader to encourage them. God is faithful to come and bring help that Nehemiah had prayed about. So our passage is about how God uses Nehemiah as a leader to motivate his willing servants to do his work. So these principles, again, will not apply to you if you are not willing. And leaders, the issue with unwilling believers, it's really an issue of sin. It's an issue of selfishness that needs to be dealt with first. It's not motivating them to be about God's work. And there are a lot of leaders in the church these days motivating people who are in sin to do God's work rather than those who have wholeheartedly given over their lives. And that happens over and over again. You start to take it back, you give it back over. Lord, no, uh, it's, it's yours. So then, if you're a leader, this passage applies to you directly. If you are a servant, it applies to you directly also because you're going to be led. And it also applies secondarily to those who would be leading maybe in your family and those who want to do the right thing. But how do I lead them? How do I motivate them righteously to do what is right? Or whatever it might be, it applies to those circumstances also secondarily. So then, how are godly leaders to motivate God's servants to do his work? Well, first of all, we're going to see that the leader must personally step out first where the Lord is truly leading. You know, we saw after much prayer, Nehemiah, led by the Lord to help these Jews, stepped out in faith before he even came upon to redirect them and to help them. Remember what we saw last week after much prayer, four to five months actually, Nehemiah had come to realize that God was going to use him to be the one to lead these Jews to do and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the gates. And yes, God's good hand was on Nehemiah. And even though he knew the king would probably not let him go, God's hand was upon him and he did let him go. Nehemiah was waiting on the Lord, but he also was walking with the Lord. Look at what we saw here in chapter 2, verse 1. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very, very much afraid. You remember the king, he was very observant, and he saw Nehemiah's sadness that had not shown before. And you might remember, by law, you're not allowed to be sad in front of the king. You've got to put on a happy face, otherwise you could be killed. And so obviously the heaviness of what was on Nehemiah's heart, including the fact that he felt this was the day to talk to him, had really overcome him, and he was sad in the presence. And when the king noticed it, he was very much afraid. But he was also prepared and ready and trusting the Lord. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed with fire? We saw last time that Nehemiah was very wise. He doesn't mention Jerusalem, which would have been a thorn in the king's ears in a sense. He mentions it in a different way. Very respectful, very wise. And the king, he didn't miss a beat. He's a very wise king here in an earthly sense. The king said to me, what would be your request? He figured it out. And what did Nehemiah do? I love this. So I prayed to the God of heaven. 
Nehemiah is a man walking with the Lord. Things are coming upon him. He's praying. Lift up those prayers. Lord, give me wisdom. Grant me help. Help me with my words. Help me to say the right thing. Whatever it might be. He's walking with the Lord. We need to be that way. When we hear things, we're not sure what's going to happen, what's going to be said. When it's said, we need to be ready to lift up our prayers to the Lord, and we should be walking with him doing so. And so then, uh, we see here that he prayed to the God of heaven. And then notice what he says here. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, uh, this wouldn't be working if Nehemiah was a lazy servant, right? If Nehemiah wasn't a good employee. And I'm, and I'm so sad when I see Christians who are really not good employees. They're complaining about their bosses. They're not diligent in their work. They just go there and do the minimal amount to get out. That's not doing your work hardly unto the Lord. That's doing a little work unto yourself so you can get out of there. That's not good. But Nehemiah was a godly man. He was diligent. And he said here, If I found favor, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. There's the request. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? Nehemiah was obviously ready. He was ready for the response. So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. He said, this is how long, right? Definite time. He was ready. And I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asap, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And what was the king's response? And the king granted them to me. And what was Nehemiah's understanding? Because the good hand of my God was upon me. So Nehemiah understood God was leading him and he was opening doors. And by faith, he stepped out first. He didn't ask others to trust the Lord in an area in which he was not personally trusting the Lord in already. And folks, if you're a leader in the body of Christ, if you're asking others to serve the Lord in certain manners and you are not willing and able to do that yourself, you're not trusting the Lord, that's not like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was trusting in the Lord, stepping out by faith, and God's good hand was on him. So how are leaders to motivate God's willing servants, yet discouraged, to a difficult or overwhelming task? First of all, you need to have faith in the Lord. You'd be trusting him, and you need to step out in faith personally according to God's will. You've got to do it yourself, right? Now notice, the next thing we're going to see, as you step out, we need to expect opposition. Expect opposition. Indeed, it was a great evil, as we will see, to Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite when they heard of Nehemiah's coming to help. They didn't know exactly what was going on, because Nehemiah will say later on, I haven't told anybody what the Lord's put on my heart, but he knew they were coming to help in some fashion, okay? The bad guys. Verse 9, here's our passage. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Very interesting. So verse 9, Nehemiah is heavy into the trip from Susa in Persia to Jerusalem. So take about two months. It's a big trip, okay? He says he came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river. That would be the Euphrates River. And he remember, he wisely had asked the king for letters. And he's obviously giving them those letters, the king's letters. That gives him permission to pass through. 
And it says here, and I gave him the king's letters. He was prepared. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. He's doing his due diligence. Then notice this statement in the end of 9. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. That's a little unusual. And I believe it points to the distinct possibility that the king had appointed him the governor of Judah. I believe that's what had happened. That's quite possible. Indeed, in chapter 5, verse 14, this is before the wall's done, 52 days, it's before it's done. Chapter 5, I'll read it, verse 14. Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor, the wall hasn't even been finished yet. It's 52 days to get it done. This is during that time in the land of Judah that from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the king Artaxerxes, for 12 years, neither I or my kinsmen had eaten the governor's food allowance. So it's apparent that he had probably been appointed as the governor of Judah. So he's got a army group, he's got protection there, and he's got horsemen. So he's got something that would be noticed by the people who are ruling the area for under Persia. They would know something's going on. Here's a guy coming. We heard the word. He's got letters. He's approved. He's got army guys. He's got the guys protecting him. He's got horsemen. He's coming. So they've heard it, but they don't know the reason, the exact reason. Okay, They know the basic reason, which everyone knows, but the exact reason what Nehemiah is going to do, what God has put on his heart. He hasn't revealed that yet. And notice what happens. Verse 10. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. The term very displeasing could be translated, it was a great evil. It was a great evil to them. So we have these two people named here, Sanballat and Tobiah. And we're going to see they're basically government officials. And when they hear about Nehemiah, he's not there yet. They hear about his coming. It was a great evil to them that somebody would come to seek the welfare of Israel. That's all they know about it. And it's a great evil to them. Now, in our study of Nehemiah, we here now begin to see the opposition arise. And the reality is there are enemies of Nehemiah and the Jews. And who are these enemies? We see them here because it was a great evil to them that someone came to help. Indeed, we'll see later on their opposition introduced directly. Let's look at that. Chapter 2, verse 19. But when Sandad the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Hey, they're going to start their opposition now. They're going to pull that card, as we'll see. You know, we're going to call the king and say, you're rebelling against him. That's worthy of death. Are you rebelling against the king? Then look down chapter 4. We see their wickedness increasing. Now it came about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. Chapter 4, verse 1. Very angry and mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from dusty rubble, even the burnt ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, even what they were building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their heads and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized 
the building. This is a serious offense. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Well, Greg, we had a lot of review today. Yes, we did, Dave. So stay with us for our next broadcast, where we're going to dive right into how the Lord would have us respond to the opposition that will inevitably come for serving Him. As we close today's broadcast, it's our prayer that the Word of God has done its work in your life and that you've been challenged and encouraged to follow Christ more closely. If you're receiving spiritual benefit from equipping the saints, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift today? Every gift makes a difference, no gift is too small, and every dollar is put right back into the ministry. To send a gift to Equipping the Saints, call us toll-free at 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to donate online, our web address is etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Well, we hope you'll make plans to join us again next time, right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints.